You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you, Dave, and the whole team for, for having me. Um, I really was looking forward to being with you. Um, as Dave mentioned, we've met a few months ago and have been meeting up um, from time to time and just hearing the journey of this church. One year young, um, but so generous, so outward focused and constantly thinking, all right, how can we show the love and hope of Jesus to the people in our community, but also beyond? When I listened to your talk two weeks ago on, on the podcast, I was, I was impressed by the, the vision you're casting, but also the, the confidence you have that this group of people is committed to make a difference, not just in this region, but around the world. And so I'm really excited to partner with you as a church in this, because I really believe that as a church community, we have an incredible responsibility and opportunity to show the love of Jesus in our communities and show the world what kind of people we are. I just want to quickly highlight the, the message from Dave two weeks ago. I believe he st- you started a message called Life Together. And I think it's really focusing on the, the key pillars, the values of this church, what, this ch- what the fabrics of this church are made of. And I really want to encourage you, if, has anyone heard the message? Who has heard it? All right, a few. I see a few hands that are not up. If you check out that mas- message, because I believe as a church community, if we come behind a vision of a church, If we become participants instead of spectators, it changes everything. For me, I've been growing up in church, and I love the church. But I saw throughout my life, there was different times when I was involved and not. When I just came five minutes before, five minutes after, I was just criticizing, and kind of things stood out. I'm like, oh, this could be done better. But as soon as I became a participant, as soon as I contributed, things changed. Because I saw the opportunity I have to add value to a community, but also the value that was in, in, in here comes the ESL, I was going to say implanted, but that's not, imparted into me. But really, I love the community we have in the fellowship of believers. I believe in the power of it, and so that's why I'm saying, firstly, make sure you listen to the talk, but also it speaks volumes to me that in the second and third week, organizations like Baptist World Aid and Open Doors get to come and speak about the work globally that we're doing. See, the vision of this church isn't just to reach this community, but it's to shine the light of Jesus broadly in, in the world. And it, I really appreciate that, that that's the focus where we say we start with prayer and then we hear what we're doing around the world. And so you might be thinking, when is this guy going to start talking about Open Doors? I promise I'll get there. But I just thought, it, it, was, it really came yesterday, where I just had a f- strong feeling of making sure I say that, because I know a young church is built on, on hardworking people, giving a lot of their hours, but the more this church grows, the more everyone here has an opportunity to, play, to participate, to play your part and bring your gifting to this beautiful community. And before we start, I just want to look at this passage. If we can turn with me to Acts 2... 42 to 47, I'll read it to you, you can follow me on the screens. Paul writes, oh sorry, Luke writes, the fellowship of the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with the awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this picture of the body of Christ. This is Acts 2. The Holy Spirit has just been poured out onto the disciples and the believers. And the church is unified. The church is vibrant inside the four walls. People are sharing everything. They're doing life together. And I really believe in the power of that. As soon as we have a community, a fellowship of believers, where we feel that we're a part of, where we feel we can contribute, it adds so much to our life, but also to the people around us. So saying all that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your gracious love. We're grateful to be in relationship with you. And we're grateful to meet in a public place, the doors wide open, not having to be afraid of the, social, the security police, the police coming in and interrupting us. God, I pray that as I share, as we read from your word, that you speak, Holy Spirit, that you'd use my words, and that we'd leave this place more encouraged and more inspired to dig deeper in our own relationship with you, Jesus. I ask that you would help us to understand what it is that we can do to partner with the global church, the persecuted part of the body of Christ. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Just checking which slide you're seeing. I'd love for you to meet Nadia. Nadia is an Egyptian woman, and her and her family were on the way to celebrate Ascension Day. In Egypt and countries in the Middle East, people celebrate Ascension Day over Easter because of the attention that Easter creates for attacks to the church. And so 40 days after Easter, there's Ascension Day that is celebrated. And so Nadia is on the way with her family on a bus traveling interstate in Egypt. And as they're traveling across the border, she sees a couple of soldiers in the distance. Assuming they're there to ensure their safety, she doesn't think much of it. And as they approach, she realizes they're not there to ensure their safety. The soldiers arm their guns and shoot the tires of the bus, forcefully making their way onto the bus. On the bus now, they're asking every male passenger if they're Christians. If they would say yes, they had a chance to renounce their faith in Jesus. But if they wouldn't do that, they were killed there. See, this way, these men, the soldiers, make their way through the, on, towards the end of the bus, and they get to Haney, who's Nadia's son. He's sitting two rows in front of her, and she watches him speak his last words as he wouldn't deny his faith in Jesus. Nadia luckily got away from the attack alive, and a couple of weeks afterwards, she was connected with a trauma care center that Open Doors has set up in the region. When she met with our team and they were talking about what happened to her, working through it, she said, you, th you know, you think I'm upset about the choice that my son made, or I wish, you think I wish I would have made a, he would have made a different choice in that bus. But you know what? I'm proud of the faith I raised in him. I'm glad that even with his life on the line, he wouldn't deny his faith in Jesus. When I heard that story, my faith was shaken to its core. 
Because you see, usually we'd hear stories of martyrs, and, and it's kind of like the story of Haney is highlighted. But in this situation, it's his mom that is saying, I am proud of the faith I raised in my son. Really saying, I'm responsible for what happened. But I'm glad that Jesus was everything to him as well. Because Jesus is everything to me. It's that kind of faith that is enabling Christians all around the world to boldly continue to follow Jesus no matter what's happening towards or coming against them. See, she also said, I hope to meet the attackers, the killers of my son one day because I want to tell them that I forgive them and I want to make sure I can tell them about the love of Jesus. So often I meet Christians in in our Western world and I can feel hatred fear towards other religions and and other people groups. But you see, it's the people that are closest to these situations that are reacting like Jesus would have reacted. They're incredible examples of how to live a Christian life, how to show love when you really shouldn't expect any love or forgiveness or grace or mercy. See, hearing that story, I asked myself, what kind of faith was raised in me? But really, what kind of faith am I raising in others? What kind of faith is it that I talk about when I talk to people? Is it the kind of faith that has changed my life, a relationship with Jesus that I wouldn't, change, wouldn't trade in for anything? Or is it something I have, to talk to, I have to talk about because I'm a Christian, that's what we do, and Dave tells us to tell people about Jesus? See, it's, it's an it's a incredible difference between a relationship with Jesus that is passionate, that is full of joy and love, and a relationship with Jesus that is based on we having to do this. I always reflect on my own life, and recently, because of Liv, I've gotten into tennis, we're playing a lot of tennis, and I can talk about a Roger Federer game forever. I can watch it, I can tell people how incredible he is, he's still playing. It's in in those moments that I reflect and go, how do I talk about Jesus? What is it that comes out when people ask me about my faith? And see, working with Open Doors, it's been that, that it's been challenging the most for me. Because it's an inspiration to see people like Nadia continue to walk their faith, their relationship with Jesus boldly the way they do. Let's look at the passage we heard earlier, read from Mark, 2 Corinthians one, get it? Here we go. We're going to jump to verse 7. Oh, actually, before, I'll give a bit of background for this passage. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. It's not his first letter to them. It's the second one we have. Potentially, there's a number of other letters. But the reason why he's writing this letter is a lot of people in the Corinthian church have started to doubt the genuineness of his apostleship. And so Paul is addressing the reason why he's doing what he's doing in this letter. He's starting with explaining that he's an apostle by the will of God and not for his own sake. And then in verse 3 and 4, something interesting is described. Paul is describing the relationship with us and the Father. He's saying God is the Father of all compassion and comfort. And it's important that we understand that because he's, he's describing the relationship that we're supposed to have. 
See, so often in life, we run to our friends and family to get comfort. Something happens in our lives, and we feel the urge to, to be comforted and run to someone, and that's fine. But what Paul describes here is that it's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, it's a different kind of comfort that we receive, we receive from God because it enables us to continue giving. And it brings me back to the point of this being an important part of our life, the fellowship of believers. When we rely, when we rely on God to be our comforter, we're able to comfort the people around us. And this community is able to function best. We jump to verse 7. We read, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And he's saying he's despairing of life itself. We don't know what he's going through, but from the passage, we can guess that he's been persecuted. Now, he used to be Saul who persecuted the church, finding himself on the opposite side of that, being persecuted and writing to this church in Corinth and really just to the, to the saints of the region. And so really talking to us. And so we could read, Harborside Church, I do not want you to be uninformed about what's happening around the world. See, these stories of persecution didn't stay in the, old, in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, but it's relevant today. People are being persecuted around the world for their faith in Jesus, and the global body of Christ needs to know. In verse 9, he continues, he said, Indeed, we had felt we had received the sentence of death. I'm not sure what else we can feel like, but that's pretty much the bottom where we can land. But watch what Paul says next. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It is this incredible hardship that is being faced and an immediate shift to, but God is going to come through. And it's the same I see in the story of Nadia, facing the death of her son in front of her eyes, but she sees beyond it. She sees an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with these people. And so I love how this passage didn't stay in the New Testament. It's not just the heroes of faith from the New Testament. It's people that are able to live the same kind of faith today. In verse 10, it says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. From describing a situation where Paul is threatened from, for his life, going straight to, but I'm sure that God will deliver us. See, there's a relationship with God as our comforter that enables us to see past circumstances in front of us. My favorite part of this is verse 11. Sorry, I'm not sure where I'm up to with my clicking. Verse 11 says, and a fly is attacking me. As you help us by your prayers. And so let's read back to verse, in, in verse 10, the last sentence. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. See, Paul isn't writing, God might, might deliver us if you could only pray. It is an assurance that God will deliver them, 
And he's also sure that the church is praying. It is a description of reality, not a wishful thinking. And I love this part because it enables us to go, all right, what's my part I can play? Where can I step in and do what God is needing me to do or really what's required of me to do in the global body of Christ? It finishes and says, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in the answer to the prayers of many. Reminds me as well of Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 13, 35. I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, if you love one another, the world will recognize me, will see me through that. And it's what I said today before, what I'm passionate about this ministry is that we're unifying the body of Christ. We're saying we're different parts, different responsibilities in different countries, in different areas of the world, but we're all one. And the more we can show the world that we are one, that we care, that we're aware of what's going on, the more Jesus will be known in this world. And really, this is why Open Doors exists. See, we've been helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost, for over 60 years now. Making sure that people are being cared for when they're struggling to continue sharing the gospel. It all started with Brother Andrew, a guy in the Netherlands, going to Eastern Europe to deliver smuggled Bibles behind the Iron Curtain to churches that didn't have Bibles. You would know that you have Bibles all over this church on the seats. Imagine churches where the pastor doesn't even have a Bible. And so this is how the need of this ministry evolved. It became more, it grew in, in numbers of Bibles that we had to smuggle into different countries, but then established different ministries where we were able to disciple people. We were able to come alongside them with food packages, emergency reliefs, all that kind of thing. And so to give you a quick overview of the ministry, we're going to look, check out a quick video. Open Doors is positioned on the front lines, standing and strengthening persecuted Christians in countries like North Korea, where it is illegal to own a Bible or your family can be thrown in a prison camp for their beliefs. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. It's time to awaken to the reality of the persecuted church. In 1955, Brother Andrew, a newly committed Christian, began smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe, behind the Iron Curtain, because he believed that everyone should have the freedom to know Jesus. He was given the scripture, Revelation 3.2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Since his first trip, Open Doors has expanded to work around the world, providing Bibles and training for those who need it most. We train leaders in their homeland, so they can be the light of the gospel in the darkest places. In 1981, we delivered one million Bibles to a secluded harbor in China and was described by Time magazine as one of the boldest missionary ventures of all time. 1989, we sent one million New Testament Bibles into Russia and a seven-year prayer campaign for the Soviet Union finished. We are a part of the body of Christ, called to the persecuted church, people of prayer, seeking to live by faith, devoted to Jesus Christ and his call, motivated solely for the glory of God. Open doors. Together, we serve 
persecuted church. I'd love to tell you more about the mission where we got one million Bibles into China, but I don't have time, so come see me afterwards. I'd love to tell you the story. It is incredible what God has done through this ministry. There's, at the moment, there's around 245 million Christians that are suffering for their faith in Jesus. Now that number is almost 10 times the population of Australia. It's one in nine Christians that experiences some sort of persecution for their faith. Open Doors is working in over 70 countries now saying, how can we come alongside you? How can we help you continue to be the light and hope of Jesus in your community? I don't know if you've seen this map before. It's called the World Watch List. I'm sorry, I'm not pointing the clicker well. We've been releasing it for 25 years, and it's a tool that we want to put in the hand of the church in Australia, because it kind of shows you what's going on around the world. And as Paul wrote in his letter, we want to make sure you're informed of what's going on. And so when you look at these uh, countries, yellow represents high persecution, and red is extreme persecution. So if a country has a color, you can be sure that Christians are suffering for their faith. And so what we want to do with this World Watch List is every year we release a new uh, list, the 50 most dangerous countries, and we want to give information of what's going on in the country, what you can do to pray, how you can help us continue to do the work we're doing in all these different countries. See, it's, when we talk about persecution, it's important that we understand it looks different in all the places of the world. It's almost a spectrum where on one hand you have mild mockery, where it starts, where maybe we've all experienced that in school or in workplaces where people make fun of our faith. And on the other hand, you have stories like Haney, where it's martyrdom for their faith. And you see anything in between is persecution and looks different in different countries. And so I just want to give you one example of one of those countries. India is number 10 on the world watch list. And it, the persecution in that country has been rising quickly. Second largest country, incredible amount of people, but the pressure on Christians is becoming stronger and stronger. There's an extremist group that has promised to eradicate every other religion other than Hinduism by the end of 2021. Of course, these are threats and they're a minor group, but it's, it shows you the reality of believers in India. One of my favorite stories is the story of Baya. She's a 22-year-old woman, and when her and her mom came to faith, her village and her family violently threw them out. They weren't able to say goodbye to anyone. They weren't able to grab any belongings. They were kicked out of the village. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a village, so I'm not sure what that looks like, but I'm thinking of my hometown in Basel, in Switzerland. If I would have been kicked out of that neighborhood, what would I have done? Most likely, go somewhere else. I'm not sure about you, but that's my reaction. Not so for Baya. Baya said, I'm going to study the Bible, and I'm going to go back to that village because they clearly didn't understand what I was telling them. They need to understand the hope and love of Jesus for their lives. And she's made it her mission to make sure everyone hears the gospel in her village and understands it. It's people like these that we get to serve at Open Doors, and I'm incredibly grateful to share their stories with the wider church 
for you to understand what's going on, but also what kind of hope and faith exists all around the world in places where it's so hard to follow Jesus. I want to read you her, her quote that she's told us. She said, don't be afraid when persecution comes to you. It's part of the Christian life. It's a privilege to be persecuted. I have nothing. It undoes It's hard for me to understand a kind of faith that sees persecution, again, as an opportunity to share the gospel, to show that whatever you do to me, whatever you take from me, Jesus is worth it all. Our our work in India evolves um, around emergency relief. I'm not sure if you heard about the attacks in Sri Lanka, for example, um, around Easter time. The churches there that were attacked, we've been partnering with for decades, and it's one of the aspects I love about the ministry, it's that it's never open doors stepping into a situation and saying, open doors is here to save the people, but it's our local partners that we've been able to establish over the last six decades that are able to step in in situations like the needs when the attacks happen in Sri Lanka. To give you a few numbers of what we're doing and how we work as a ministry, What you see on the screen is the Bibles and Christian literature is by far the biggest resource that we still do today. But then I love the other stats because one of the stats is more than 150,000 people receive discipleship training. Now that's only a small part of, it's over 570,000 people that received some sort of training through the work of Open Doors. 150,000 people received discipleship training. There's other trainings that prepares New church leaders for the time when they have to go to prison. Now imagine if Dave started this church, he had to go through a course that prepared him for the time when he had to go to prison. Because everyone knows it's going to happen at some point. People sheltered through safe house projects, church construction projects, and Over 400,000 people were helped in in emergency relief projects. The area of our ministry that I love most by far, though, is micro-business loans. It was five years ago when we started to introduce this kind of work, and what we said is there's different countries in the world where it's actually difficult to continue to bring in funds from Western countries. Germany started to struggle to give funds to the field because of different governance issues. Now, what we said is, all right, how can we help people follow Jesus all over the world in these areas without giving them more money? And what we found is that micro-business loans enables people to do it themselves. I want to tell you a story of a man that we've been able to grant a micro-business loan and is now doing incredible work for Jesus. His name is Sylvan, and when he was in prison, his grandma kept visiting him. And one day she dropped in a New Testament Bible and said, you have to read this. Sylvan started reading, and when he read the book from front to the back, he started having questions for a visiting pastor that would keep meeting with the prisoners. And he was becoming inquisitive, and he started to debate if he should become a Christian. He knew that in the country he was in, it's in Central Asia, I can't tell you the country because of security reasons, but... He knew that if I make a decision for Jesus, my life is going to look different when I leave this prison. Still, he made the decision to become a Christian outside prison. He connected, reconnected with that pastor who was working with open doors, and 
The pastor told them that they had an opportunity for him to go and do a certificate four in business. They helped him get through that course because he hadn't done any education before. And then he, they, he got funds to start a beehive farm. Now you think, well, what's a beehive farm going to do? But see, Sylvan was able to use that ministry, use that business, sorry, to start a ministry. The beehive farm is now creating honey that they can sell on markets and have an incredible profit from it. They've employed five people since we've given them the micro-business loan. And it didn't just stay there, but Sylvan started different projects. He had different projects set up where it's safe houses that shelter women that come from prostitution or living on the streets, men that were caught up in drug use and and it's, it's the same, we're, we're living on the streets. And those rehabilitation centers are only a, a product of us being able to give them a micro-business loan. And so when Dave mentioned the fund, the Beyond Fund, I told him I want to make sure that the money that, was, that is collected from Harborside Church can go towards our projects to enable people to start businesses. Because you see, it enables us to support Christians to continue what they're doing already, but enables us to give them all the responsibility. They're not dependent on us. They're not coming back to us, and we can literally set them up for a win and leave. Another story of of a micro-business loan was a bakery in Syria. In 2015, the war was raging in Syria, and a certain people group was forced to leave their area. Everything was destroyed, and I couldn't live there anymore. When a pastor, two years later of that church, realized there's people moving back to that area, he said, I'm going to move my church back there. We're going to go back, and we're going to make sure people hear about Jesus. They went back, but because of the infrastructure that was all destroyed, they had no means of income. They had no means of getting work, and so they weren't sure if they were going to be able to stay. But with our local partners, we were able to help them set up a bakery, And with the bakery, they're able to create funds for the church to continue to run, to do ministry to the people, to the refugees, to the displaced people in that area. And you see, I love that aspect of our work because it literally translates what I said in the beginning where we say we come alongside the church and we want to help them so that they can continue doing what they're already doing. Micro-business loans enables them to do exactly that. They're able to look after themselves. They're able to feed their children themselves. So much of what we've seen is important that the pastors are able to care for their communities, that the community sees it's the pastor who cares. For parents, that it's the parents who give gifts to the children and not some organization coming from another country. We want to make sure the church is healthy. And again, I'm coming back to the four walls of the church. I believe in the fellowship of believers being the most incredible thing that can change a community and the world. And as Open Doors, we want to make sure that communities all over the world can continue to flourish, making sure that Jesus is proclaimed, Jesus is being shared, regardless of the cost for these people. There's a quick video just to give you an idea of the bakery. Here we go. I did it. Maybe.
As I said, it's one of my favorite parts of the ministries. I love seeing the kids running around and seeing families and churches reestablished, enabling them to do it themselves, be the church and hands and feet of Jesus in their world. You see, we're one body, we're different parts, but we're one family of believers. And I truly believe that with the work of Open Doors, with the ministry of Open Doors, we're able to connect the global body of Christ. I believe that we're all trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, that we're all trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in our day and age. And you see, the strength we have as a church community is that we can do it together. We don't have to do it alone. We don't have to figure it out by ourselves. But we can rely on the people around us. And really, with the work of Open Doors, be inspired by the stories of Christians all around the world. We're one body. I love that image of going, all right, there's brothers and sisters of mine in India, in North Korea, in Sri Lanka, that I'm able to connect with, not ever going to travel there. I personally haven't traveled to the field. But I believe that hearing their stories, hearing them and implying them into my life, looking at my relationship with Jesus and seeing where I can learn from them enables us to work in a relationship circle where it's not just the charity we give money to and we kind of feel better about ourselves because it's what we have to do, but it's something that invests in the global body of Christ where we support our brothers and sisters in prayer like Paul talks about in Corinthians, playing our part supporting them with financial support. And at the same time, we receive lessons and encouragement and prayers from the field. You see, a lot of times the persecuted church tells us, don't pray for us, pray with us. Because you see, we're praying for you. And I remember that my friend who told me, he was shocked when one of the persecuted believers he met with told him, we're praying for you in Australia. He's like, what do you mean? We're fine we're good. And he's like, yeah, that's the problem. You're too fine. And it's this challenge of like, all right, if we have all this freedom, let's not wait until we can't share our faith. Let's do it now. When no one's going to stop us talking about Jesus with our family, with our neighbors, with the people around us. And so again, an investment in Open Doors isn't just supporting people around the world, but it's really supporting the local church in Australia. I want to quickly, trying to stay in time, I'll quickly share just my testimony. When I heard of Open Doors for the first time, I was 15 years old. I was in youth group in Switzerland, and sitting on the floor, I remember growing up in church, I was happy, I had my friends, didn't care about much else, to be honest, sadly, but that's fine. Open Doors came in and told me about the work of Open Doors, and they shared stories of young Christians following Jesus courageously and and giving up education or not being able to go to school because of their faith. And I remember as a 15-year-old, that changed my life forever. Because you see, I left that evening going, if my brothers and sisters around the world can give up school or are happy to not be able to go to school and still say, no, I'm a Christian, what can I do? Where can I share my faith? Where can I tell people about Jesus without being afraid? And it really helped me through my teenage years. When people made fun of my faith, I was like, you know, that's fine. I had examples of faith around the world that I could look up to. 
And that's what we want to create as a partnership with Open Doors and Harborside Church. You see the allocation, what I said in the beginning, Dave's vision to give $30,000 to both, or $15,000 to Baptist World Aid and $15,000 to Open Doors. What I said is I want to make sure I can try, and it's a bit hard with our work, but track down those $15,000. I want to give them towards a project that enables people to receive micro-business loans. And what we're doing is the global project, because we're a global organization, is $200,000 that is invested for 2020 to start micro-business loans. But with your incredible help, I want to make sure I'll tell you next year what your money has done, which, which uh, micro-business loans we've been able to start with your support. And I really want to encourage you, take this to, you, take this to your heart. Make sure you, you read up on, on Open Doors online. I haven't got much resource here because it's all being done new for next year, but look us up. Check out the World Watch List where you can look at every country and see what the situation is, how you can pray, and how you can be involved. I'll just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be in community with you and with each other. We're grateful for the freedom we have, and we ask that you would help us to see opportunities to share your good news in our world. That we're not afraid when people ask us about our faith that you would bolden and strengthen us in it. That we'd remember stories of Nadia and Baya and Sylvan doing incredible work regardless of the circumstance they're in. God, we ask that you would show us what we can do, which part we can play in making a difference in Mossman and beyond. God, I thank you for this beautiful community of believers, this beautiful church wanting to make a difference, and I ask that you would bless this community, that you'd add to their numbers daily, that this church would grow and reach this community successfully, that Mossman would be changed by your hope and love, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.